This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 14th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Security theater is the term coined by Bruce Schneier to refer to the procedures we go through that enhance our feeling of security while not improving security at all. Schneier argues that our own human psychology plays a role in convincing us that rare threats are common common threats are rare. We spoke at the Cato Institute's counterterrorism conference held Monday and Tuesday. How should the public think about trying to balance the trade-offs associated with security, that is, reducing some risks at the expense of potentially reducing others? It doesn't seem like we can really expect the public to delve down to understand what the real trade-offs are there, or can we? Well, the public really does do it all the time. When they get in a car and drive to work, they're balancing the risks of the convenience in a car accident. When they buy another lock for their door because the crime rate in the neighborhood goes up, they're balancing the risks of purchasing the lock with reducing their risk. People are actually very fluent in managing risks in domains they understand. We also know how to get expertise. You know, if we're uh, feeling sick, we go to a doctor. And the doctor will balance the risks for us. And because we trust the doctor, we'll either listen to what they do, or maybe we don't trust the doctor. We'll go on the internet and learn some things and maybe come to a different conclusion. So when it matters to us viscerally, we balance these risks. We do it all the time. We don't even notice it. Problem is, in public policy, there's a lot of information we don't know, and we might not even know who to trust. So now it turns into a political battle where my team, whether it's the Democrats or Republicans or the Libertarians, some other fringe party, says something, and I believe it because I don't know better. And, and really, that's where we are. So I think we should expect people to balance these risks or to go to trusted experts when they can't do it themselves. You were one of the first scholars to talk about security theater, this idea that uh, domestic security measures create rather than actual security, the illusion of security, what causes it? Well, people are scared. And when people are scared, they want to feel secure. So measures that make people feel secure are what the public demands and what policymakers will give them. Now, whether it makes them actually secure or not depends on whether it works. Now, sometimes you can notice, right? If I am fearful of crime and the police does security theater, I'll notice that the streets don't get safer because there's some crime rate that I can measure either through direct observance, through the newspapers, through my friends, through the community. But for something as rare as terrorism, which almost never happens, there isn't a good way for us as citizens to measure the effectiveness. So you're more likely to get security theater because it reduces our fear. You wrote recently on your blog that when it comes to counterterrorism, in an effort to defend against rare threats, we make ourselves more vulnerable to common threats. Could you talk about that? Well, there's something very interesting about uh, human reaction to, to threats. We tend to over-exaggerate the rare and, and spectacular. So, for example, we fear kidnapping by strangers. I think of child kidnapping, right? So the Joe Bonet Ramsey scenario we fear. Someone sneaking into a kid's bedroom, snatching him or her, and running away. If you look at the numbers from the FBI, the most common kidnapping scenario is by a relative, right? So we fear the rare and spectacular, we don't feel they're common. We fear terrorism, not car crashes, right? We fear plane crashes, but not car crashes. So we don't, we don't feel 
that the common is as important as it is. So we do tend to exaggerate the rare. And because of that, we tend to spend more money on the security against the rare because it looms larger in our heads. Now, there are bunches of reasons for this. Uh, we, we as a species get acclimated to whatever reality is. And if the reality in the United States is 42,000 car deaths per year, every year, that's considered normal. Right? 4,000 deaths during September 11th was a huge spike, so it was abnormal. So even though it's one-tenth of the annual deaths from car crashes, we, it feels bigger to us. Uh, also, the media magnifies things. You know, we get feelings of what's risky by our direct perceptions. Car crashes aren't talked about. 9-11 was talked about endlessly, so it felt bigger. I, mean, I tell people when it's in the news, don't worry about it. The very definition of news is something that almost never happens. When something is so common that it's no longer news, automobile crashes, domestic violence, that's when you worry about it. So is overreacting to terrorism, is that just inevitable given the media, given our propensity to... Uh, uh, focus on the rare events? Overreaction is natural, but it's not inevitable. I mean, one of the benefits of, of being human as opposed to any other species is that we can reason. Right? We can look at data and say, you know, I'm scared of this, but I shouldn't be. And we do that again and again. I mean, there are a lot of things that are natural for us to do that we've learned not to do. And, and you learn that through information, through reasonable policy discussions, through figuring it out. So I don't think it's inevitable. I think it's a struggle for us not to do it because it's so natural, but I think those kind of struggles are what makes us human. Shifting topics a little bit, we hear a lot these days about our vulnerability to cyber terrorism. How real is that threat? I don't think it's very real. I mean, there's a lot of cyber attacks out there. I mean, cyber crime is on the rise and has been for the past decade. There's a lot of cyber hooliganism. There's even politically motivated cyber attacks. You think of you know, the attacks against uh, Russia and uh, Estonia, I mean, China versus the United States, uh, Israel versus Palestine. Cyber terrorism, the idea is that a terrorist organization is going to kill people through cyberspace isn't very realistic. It just isn't the scenario. I mean, you drop the air traffic control system and, you know, planes land. You uh, disable the phone system, and honestly, we just don't get calls for a day. We're not terrorized. We're inconvenienced. And these things happen due to accidents. I mean, there have been times when the air traffic control system didn't work in some parts of the country, and planes just land. There have been times that due to software errors, uh, communication satellites have gone down, the pieces of the Internet have gone down, you know, phone systems have gone down. These things do happen. Uh, the worst instance we have documented of someone doing physical damage through cyberspace happened in Australia when a hacker got into a sewage treatment plant and released uh, raw sewage into, a, I believe, an estuary. Uh, he didn't do it on purpose. He didn't know what he was doing. He probably couldn't have repeated it on a bet. And, and this is the best we can do. So even the, the blackout in the Northeast Quadrant United States in, I think it was 2004, it disrupted a whole lot of cyberspace there, but it wasn't terrorism. So I just don't see these scenarios as actually terrorizing people. Inconveniencing them, yes, but terrorizing, no. And getting back to rare versus common, here we are overestimating cyber terrorism and ignoring cyber crime, which is much more common and much more damaging. Do you think that the federal government, either through the NSA or DHS, 
uh, should provide cryptography assistance to banks and other private actors to protect against uh, hackers? You know, I don't know if it's necessary anymore. 10, 20 years ago, definitely. There's a lot of expertise the NSA had that the rest of the world didn't. You know, here we are in 2008, and the uh, academic community, the commercial community, has pretty much caught up. And that we can do uh, cybersecurity, cryptography, really just as good as the NSA can. Right, the difference is going to be in the funding. I mean, the NSA does research and builds products to a military grade that the civilian world doesn't need to do. And it would be kind of neat if they made those products available for commercial sale. I mean, I think there's a lot of good that would come of that and not a lot of bad. But in terms of technical assistance, these aren't technological problems anymore. They're problems of usage, of implementation, of training. I mean, those are the real problems now. Bruce Schneier is an author and security expert. His books include Beyond Fear and Schneier on Security. You can listen to more of the Cato Institute's Counterterrorism Conference at our website, cato.org.